Welcome. My name is Amanda, and this is True Crime Psycho Soup. Episode 2 is an unsolved case near and dear to my heart, as this story shook a very small town close to where I live. Today we're traveling back to 2010, where the town of Orangeville, Ontario is still mourning the death of much-loved nurse Sonia Varashin. Although this case is 13 years old to date, I don't think anyone who lived in or around Orangeville in August of 2010 will ever forget the tragic day our community lost beautiful Sonia. Sonia was 42 years old at the time of her disappearance. She's remembered as a happy person who could achieve anything she set her mind to. She loved to travel, hike, ski, and adored children. She's missed dearly by her family, her mother Michelle, her father Attilio, her brother Viv, and sister Nadia. Michelle and Attilio also had another son, older than Sonia. His name was Vivian. Unfortunately, they lose Vivian at 17 months old in a tragic car accident. Ironically, Sonia was born on the same date that Vivian passed. Sonia worked at various hospitals as a pediatric nurse that worked in the neurological unit, the burn ward, to the cancer ward. In video interviews with Michelle, she proudly displays countless picture drawings that Sonia's former patients drew for her as thanks. Michelle explains that Sonia changed a dose of a patient's prescribed medication and then was confronted as to why she did it. Ever since the incident, Sonia felt that she was treated like a criminal. The tension between Sonia and her supervisor ultimately led Sonia to move on with her career. Sonia would now be starting her new job at a pharmaceutical company. Sonia injured her shoulder, which required her to take a few weeks off work to heal while working at the hospital. Michelle states Sonia never received disability and that the Human Resources Department was unaware of any issues between Sonia and the staff at the hospital. Strangely, Sonia had an important meeting to attend where they would discuss the disability payments on that Monday morning. Sonia was punctual regarding her employment and was the type to definitely call if she was ever going to be late. Sonia never shows up for her meeting. On Monday, August 30th, 2010, the police are called by a local woman regarding an abandoned vehicle just off the main strip of Orangeville in a back alley near Town Hall. A white Toyota Corolla with the front doors and trunk wide open, blood on the bumper, and blood on the door handle. The police check the neighboring businesses to see if they can locate the owner of the vehicle. With no luck, they search the car and find Sonia's nursing identification tag. The police get in touch with Sonia's mom and ask if Sonia is with her. Sonia had visited her parents' home in Bolton the day prior for lunch. Her father washed her car in the driveway, and Sonia and her mother and brother sat to chat. Her brother Viv suggests that they go sea-doing, to which Sonia declines. She insists that she must head home to brush up on her French, as her new pharmaceutical job requires her to be bilingual. The police inform Michelle that they have found Sonia's car, abandoned, but they are still looking for Sonia. This leads the police to Sonia Varashin's home. At 10 a.m., a short kilometer away, in a maze-like subdivision, police arrive at Sonia's Spring Street home, only to find the garage door open and a fair amount of blood on the front steps. There is no sign of forced entry, and the evidence of this crime is throughout the town home, starting in Sonia's bedroom. After investigators examine the scene, they state they don't believe that Sonia stood a chance against her attacker. Sonia's beloved cat, Jazzy, is also seemingly missing. Sonia called her mother on the phone every night before she went to sleep, unless she had company over. The night of Sonia's disappearance, Michelle didn't hear from Sonia. Michelle states in a 2020 interview that she suspects Sonia was not alone that evening. 
On Wednesday, September 1st, a video clip is released to the general public depicting a white van driving in the area of Sonia's abandoned car on that Monday around 4 o'clock in the morning. The driver comes forward, confirms to not have witnessed anything out of the ordinary, and is cleared as a suspect. Investigators canvass Sonia's neighborhood, asking questions about strange vehicles in the area. One witness states that their niece was awakened by screams at 2.30 that Monday morning. Fifteen minutes later, she recalls hearing a trunk slam and tires screeching. Residents of this small town offer their help to aid in the search of Sonia. The police suggest that residents check their own properties. However, any other requests from residents to volunteer their help were not entertained. One resident reports that they were actually hung up on by police when offering their help. On Friday, September 3rd, police publicly state that they are searching for a cream-colored bedsheet and a comforter that were missing from Sonia's room. They speculate it would be a convenient way to transport and hide a body, and then one by one, Sonia's family is interrogated, including her boyfriend, Ian Rushton. Ian and Sonia had met on a dating site and had been together for about a year. Sonia was very open about wanting to settle down and start a family of her own. It's unclear how long Sonia was privy to this information, but Ian was separated from his wife for two years with whom he shares two children. His family lives in the United Kingdom. It is clear, however, that Sonia did not share this information with her parents. Ian's work contract in Canada had not been renewed in May of 2010, so Ian shared with Sonia that he would start planning to move back to England to be closer to his children. Sonia told her mother that Ian was moving back to be close to his sister. Ian states in a recent interview that he and Sonia continued to be boyfriend and girlfriend, although one of Sonia's friends mentioned that they broke up after Ian shared the information that he would be making the move back home. On Sunday, September 5th, shortly before 9 a.m., a walker with his dog discover human remains in a wooded area off Beech Grove Side Road and Mountain View Road in Caledon. Caledon is the neighboring town of Orangeville. The location of the found remains is approximately 12 kilometers, or 7.5 miles, east of Sonia's home. Later in the day, the public learns that the remains are confirmed to be those of Sonia Varashin. Her neighbor Joe says that Sonia never caused any problems and that she was a really nice lady. Sonia's family is finally able to go into her house to gather her belongings now that her home is no longer an active crime scene. And for all my fellow pet lovers out there, Sonia's cat Jazzy was found and reunited with Michelle, whom she now cares for. While gathering Sonia's belongings, Michelle takes notice of something that's missing. Sonia purchased herself a nightgown for her birthday the week before her disappearance. The nightgown was nowhere to be found. Michelle calls investigators to forward the information, and she was told that the nightgown is actually what Sonia was found wearing. Michelle finds this very odd. She doesn't believe that Sonia would answer the door in such clothing and is still convinced that someone must have been with her or at least had access to her home, someone she knew. There is speculation among the public that Sonia may have been being watched closely and her actions studied in the weeks approaching her murder. Theories float around that Sonia may have been letting her cat Jazzy in or out of the house when the attacker or attackers rushed into her home. On Wednesday, September 8th, a news conference was held. It was announced that the bedsheets had been recovered, however it was not mentioned where. During this news conference, the detective on the case says that Sonia's killer was likely wearing a men's size 10 or 11 Dakota or Wind River boot. These boots are sold at Markswork Warehouse. The storefront in Orangeville says that they sell hundreds of this style of boot each year. The detective calls on the public for assistance, asking residents to report anyone with stained boots that match the description or if they're aware of someone who recently disposed of such boots. A memorial was held for Sonia in October. Over 700 people were in attendance, including her boyfriend, Ian. 
Ian stood out, seemingly devastated, and the tallest in the crowd. Later, Ian posted on Sonia's memorial page. His post reads, and I quote, This is Sonia's favorite song. She would want everyone to remember her dancing and singing along to this song. It expressed how much she enjoyed life. I miss you so much. End quote. And along with the post was a link to the song Pencil Full of Lead by Paolo Nutini. I took the opportunity to listen to the song that Ian posted on the memorial page for Sonia, and I must admit, my arms were absolutely covered in goosebumps. I couldn't help but smile. It was such a happy and uplifting song. I can definitely see why it was one of Sonia's favorites. Now we are eight months into the investigation, and police inform the media they have DNA, and that it's only a matter of time before the killer is caught. They encourage male residents 18 years of age and older to come forth and volunteer their DNA to be cleared as a suspect. Over 700 men volunteer their DNA to be cleared. Detectives will now neither confirm or deny whether the DNA sample is even viable. In 2014, four years after Sonia's violent murder, surveillance is released to the public of two men in a gazebo on camera not far from the location of Sonia's car. The two men come forward and it was determined that they were not involved. Speculation as to why it took so long to release this footage or ask any questions about these two men until almost four years later stems back to the former Orangeville Police Service, which I will continue to refer to as the OPS, and the Ontario Provincial Police, or the OPP's, territory issues. Sonia's home and where her car was found is under the OPS territory, whereas Sonia's remains were found in OPP territory. Initially, Michelle did not believe Ian was a suspect. But after Sonia's body was found, Michelle began to realize this is the road that Ian took to work, as well as to and from Sonia's house. Michelle reveals in a 2020 interview that Sonia's computer was analyzed and she had in fact not been active on any dating sites in the past year. The detectives state that Ian has been extensively interviewed and that he's left the country, however continues to be cooperative. Ian agreed to be interviewed by the media for the first time in 2020. Ian confirms in this interview that he and Sonia met online in the spring of 2009 and that they hit it off right away. They went on a hike in Blue Mountain and that he told Sonia in May of 2010 that he'd be moving back home to the UK. The Saturday before Sonia went missing, he claims they went on a hike together, which happened to also be the last known photos ever taken of Sonia alive. That night, Ian claims that Sonia gave him a ride home downtown so he could continue packing and then she returned home. They spoke on the phone around 9 or 10 p.m. that evening and Ian states to my surprise, the police never asked to see his residence nor analyze his computer when living in Canada during the investigation. He also mentions that having your girlfriend go missing is terrifying. He was afraid that being the boyfriend, he'd be the first blamed. Ian also reveals that he applied for a firearms license for clay pigeon shooting as a hobby. He was told that his name was flagged when ran through Interpol, thus for denying his application. After 2011, Ian lost contact with the Russian family. He deleted his social media account because of web sleuths trying to get information out of him and accordingly harassing him. Sonia's family still does not know how their beloved daughter and sister died. No postmortem was ever released. All they know is where she was found and what she was wearing. Michelle and Attilio still bravely speak out, asking for help from the community, although Michelle doesn't seem to have hope that her killer will actually be found. Efforts are still being made to this day to identify and apprehend whomever killed Sonia, to date, there have been over 1,500 submitted tips. Sonia's brother Viv still visits Sonia's memorial where she was found once a week. Her family also put a memorial in place at her favorite ski resort, Blue Mountain, in Collingwood. 
one of her brother's most memorable quotes from Sonia whenever he requested they leave the ski hill and head for home. It reads, One more run. If you have any information regarding the murder of Sonia Varashin, or if you were in the area and saw anything or heard anything out of the ordinary, please contact Crime Stoppers. There's a $50,000 reward in place for tips leading to the arrest or solving of Sonia's tragic case. And remember, a tip that may seem insignificant or small to you could be the last piece of the puzzle. Someone knows something. Somebody has the key. Do you have your own theories about Sonia's killer or killers that you want to share? We'll have a discussion on our social media if you're interested in sharing your opinion. You can always email privately if you wish, and I'm also looking for suggestions on different cases to cover within Ontario. Please don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you're notified when I put my next episode out. It really helps the channel. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com psychosoup, on Instagram at podcastpsychosoup, or you can send us an email at contactpsychosoup at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to Psycho Soup. And remember, it's always a good time to listen to some true crime.